Hey, what's up, everybody? I'm going to do a little intro before today's episode. Uh, specifically to say right off the bat, um, this is a two-parter, and both parts have adult content, gruesome content. Uh, so keep little ears away, if you would. Um, so in this two-parter, we talk about seemingly unrelated things, as usual, they have some commonalities. Marriage, divorce, murder, suburbia, small town living, church, in groups, out groups. And, you know, I was giving it some thought as I was listening back and editing. And ultimately, the question for me is, can we really ever see and understand each other so completely that we're all free to be exactly who we are? I sometimes do a group meditation called circling here in Madison, and it, I learned it as part of my yoga training. And it, what it is, it involves sitting in a circle, being fully present with each other without judgment or criticism or changing the subject or trying to fix anything or saying, oh, I had that same thing happen to me. Let me tell you about my story or, you know, without interrupting people, without basically doing any of the things that we tend to often do when we communicate in our culture. So your attention is on two places, your own inner experience. And then the whole point beyond that is to really get someone and to understand as much about their experience as you possibly can. And a really magical thing happens when you're sitting among people who are spending all of their energy working to understand you. Things unwind and you become more yourself. Relief fills you up and more of you shows up when people are looking for more of you. It's really a magical thing and I just had to put that in there because a lot of these episodes talk about disconnection and ultimately I feel like if everyone learned this practice of circling or at least dabbled in it, the world would be such a better place and people would actually start to feel connected. So I had to just throw that in there. But uh, because it's been such a long time since we've shared a short story or a poem, I threw one together for today's episode. I'm going to lay it out now and then we'll get right into the episode. Thanks for listening. In this small town, there's one grocery store. Small enough not to have tikka masala simmer sauce. Big enough that no one there knows my name. In this town on my street, two blocks from a church, a crime was committed. Someone unseen. In my mind, I hear a dial tone, busy signal, something disconnected, some precious thing he stole. And I think about the precious thing we're casually giving away by letting our villages grow lonely. Or as Dan would say, pulling down the shades. We talk a lot about community, about connecting to people, and here's why. This guy down the road murdered his parents. I can't even really think about it. Not really. Just put it in a box. Was this guy seen, I wonder? Was he really ever looked at without judgment? Did someone see him on the verge of something? These things my rural friends talk about. Living where people wave to you. Where they help if you need it. Where you share a basketball hoop. You pitch in if someone's sick. You bring the casserole when someone died. Bring the spaghetti when someone's born. You're not alone ever, really. And even if you're not fully accepted, you are likely still seen, at least your physical self, the way you walk, is recognizable. Is the community a real family? Is family there for you just because that is what they do? And what if they can't see you for who you are? Or they laugh at you or see you as false or wrong or invalid, but they're there for you anyway. And pack your dishes up in newspaper when you're moving. What if they do that but still fight to shame you? Is family an extended community, the people who show up for your basic needs, but maybe leave the emotional needs to therapists? Is that the best we can do? We come to each other not knowing a whole lot about how to be a tribe. We use marriage and church and vicinity, common professions to bond. We think that the bonds come from the commonalities, but it's the decisions we make when we see each other. To make eye contact, to listen, to put the thing in our hands down, to offer support, to call, to show up, to shut up when someone's talking, to ask, what do you think? It isn't the church that bonds. 
It's the decision to trust and show up. The tribal call to share the basketball hoop. Buy the homemade lemonade from the kids' lemonade stand. But there are bonds that destroy. And when the bonds are not uplifting any moment, when there is abuse, when there is neglect, when someone wants something better, it can't be a resounding silence from the extended group. It can't be the hold music, automated voice. It can't be the abandoned exile. When someone chooses something better by breaking a marriage, leaving a church, abandoning religion, exiting a hometown or a relationship, speaking out against something, coming out, these bonds broken are a step towards freedom. There should be macaroni, salad, and joy. Guilt and fear should not be the great motivators bringing us towards each other. We don't know what kinds of truths we've all been living with. The guy who murdered his parents would agree. We shouldn't have to commit crimes for self-preservation, and on the flip side, shouldn't be painted as criminals when we break arbitrary rules. I hate spending time with people that don't have a sense of humor. I don't know what to say. I go ahead and think, they're not my tribe. I can't ride their wave. I feel misplaced, like I can't be like them, or just make small talk. They want to talk about carpet installation. I'm really excited about how the words in a sentence fit together. I'm not the person that can pretend. But then they show up with a cake that says, congratulations, when something good happened. And they mean it. And they thought to bring napkins and plastic forks, which I would have forgotten. And it doesn't always matter that I can't stand small talk. They can see me enough to know I'm not fully seen by them. And they bring the cake anyway and wish that I can be seen somewhere. They wish that for me. And when you find people who you don't have to pretend with, who you can be wild and yourself and uncensored with, it is like finding an ecstatic church to sit and discuss inner experiences, outrageous ideas, to not be made fun of or belittled, to not have to pretend. That is community, one that all neighborhoods should have, to be the weird one and taken seriously, to be embraced without the caveat the asterisk, the whispers. And if someone is suffering, they're not suffering alone. At least they have a casserole. We were born to be fully ourselves, whatever that looks like. But more than that, we were born to be seen, too. And this precious thing is the not having to ask, the trusting, that even if you want to abandon what is comfortable and become some taller, happier version of yourself, the precious thing is that beyond trust is knowing. Trust is not strong enough a word. You know in a tribe that if you fall, people will catch you. And if you're soaring, they're going to fly with you. The Podjectivity Network. Yes, living with someone you don't want to live with is misery. I only had one. But a light misery. Like, there's worse things. There's North Korea. North Korea. That's right. (laughs) North Korea. People who are physically abusive. On the right side. North Korea. I mean, so many bad things women, men go through, kids go through. Yeah, but it hardly, I don't know how effective it is to try and make yourself feel better by comparing what is miserable to you to something worse. Mm Mm-hmm. I mean, you might get, say you have a little more perspective. It might take the edge off a bit, but I've always thought that's kind of a curious phenomenon psychologically that, you know, you would even be encouraged to examine something else miserable when you're miserable and, <laughs> and then worse. And that'll lift you up. Part so, of yeah, part of interesting with, strategy. With like divorce, I feel like part of it is... So many people try to talk you into the idea that you're not as miserable as you think you are because they want you to stay married. So you can share this kind of, "Ah, this really isn't working. We've gone to all these therapies. I'm really unhappy. And relatives or or friends that are really um, traditional and kind of um, have the attitude that um, you just get through it. And everyone goes through hard times. Mm-hmm. And to try to tell them, no, 
this is crossing a line for me, whatever it is, their answer is still the same. Everyone goes through hard times and you just got to hang in there. Things will get better. And it's sort of like they put the marriage above happiness. And then is when you start asking yourself, well, how miserable am I? Like, in the am I overdoing it? Do I real is this really okay behavior? Do other people put up with this? Is, is my misery worth I'm not physically abused. I'm not in fear for my life. You know what I mean? Is marriage really that important as an institution that you're gonna just be unhappy for the rest of your life? Yeah, you know uh, Which people do all the time. Some people some people could get locked into a lifetime commitment to somebody they were so fucking incompatible with. Yeah. That the stories they end up having to tell themselves are, well, he's a decent man. He's a good man, or at least, you know, uh, I don't want to get into specifics about who this was, but I remember hearing someone say who ultimately, you know, just for their own sanity had to, get out because the person they were with was cruel you know routinely kind of psychologically abusive and it was so kind of pathetically sad to hear them say like you know what I could I could tolerate that you know I don't think he's funny I don't enjoy his company in particular mm. you know but he's a he's a hard-working guy and if he just wasn't mean I could stick it out, you know. I I could do the right thing, what what she perceived the right thing to be, and uh, you know what a what a tragic commentary that is on like what you should expect for yourself in a in a loving relationship or what's supposed to be. The, yeah, like, and and placing such importance on part of it too is this is an agreement, so marriage is an agreement. When you go into the marriage, you say things to each other. I was, ex you guys know how much words are matter to me. I was extremely intentional with the words I chose. There was no obey or like none of that shit. Till death. No, it was like being kind to each other, having adventures together. So part of that marriage agreement, if it's broken and someone's not honoring like they're not kind anymore. They're not curious. They're not discovering. They're not taking care of themselves. They're not prioritizing health and well-being. They're not sort of, then it's sort of like, well, this isn't the person that I went into this with, that mm. we made these agreements together. You backed out on these. And so it sort of makes the agreement null and void. You know what I mean? Well, the contract that you made with the Lord Sorry, the contract that you made with the Lord was not something that you could revise. And when you were getting married in a religious environment, yeah, well, that's the problem with with a conventional marriage, and and uh, why, you know, the this person that I was referencing earlier, who was like, well, if it just wasn't so mean to me all the time, then I could endure it. This feeling like that you're just you're obligated under like almost all circumstances to to do that thing that you're saying which is just make it work be responsible in a way like you made a commitment you made a promise mm -hmm. this and I think there was an implication too that God was a part of your union you know the that yeah and a lot of the romantic language around a traditional church service is God has brought you together there's a plan for mm -hmm. all of us and that's uh, another cop out it's God's plan for you to be together well right I mean it raises a lot of questions like do my choices carry any weight yeah what does free will amount to if God's got a plan is it just an illusion uh feeling like you have no agency in your own private life is so, you know, it seems absurd to us now, I think most of us. But back then, you know, especially for women, I think there was the whole prospect of like, all right, how am I going to support myself? 
what am I going to do if I leave this guy who's... Not all that long ago. Yeah, yeah. Well, you and then there's tr- like the situations if your spouse discovers after 20 years of marriage that they're gay or mm. they're... Oh, oh now you hate gay people, dude? Or yeah, they're, exactly. oh, wow. they're not the gender that they thought they were. Or they, they're discovering earth-shattering things about themselves... Kind of yeah. like we are right now. That's like yeah. a, that's like a whole nother thing. It's like, well, you're married. How, do you honor the marriage agreement, mm. or if even if it's too much and it's like pushing past, is that what's too much essentially mm. that warrants the breakup mm. of a marriage? It's an individual choice. It's, it's not a god choice. And I think back in the day, it was considered a god choice, and the answer was nothing is big enough to say end of the marriage. And now it's like... Because it was a... What? Seismic isn't even the right word. It was like a life-ending thing. Yeah. A divorce was so shameful. And so, I mean, you've all read books. Yeah. From various periods where that plays a part, that gets mentioned, whatever. Yeah. Yeah. That a divorcee... Whatever whatever book you're reading. And they're called... You're tainted. They're called broken homes. As if a, a home with... A married couple can't also be broken or broken mm. more deeply mm-hmm. and right. profoundly Ooh. than than a, a single parent home where there's a loving, engaged adult interacting with the children. Oof. You know that uh, that that's like this relates a little bit the relativity of of this when you tell someone that you're divorced. I've I've come to do a preemptive. Hey, it's not as sad as it sounds. It's actually good. Uh-huh. Because you know, the reaction you get a lot of times is like, tell me you're divorced. Yeah. I, I just got divorced a year ago. Oh. Yeah, right. <laughs> oh, uh, man. Dan's putting his hand Dude. on my forearm to comfort me Dude. right now, and it's a little uncomfortable. Oh, but man. Appreciate the thought, Dan. Yeah. A, funny twist, a funny twist on this would be, mm. you know, I, I think it was a, some stand-up that I'm probably stealing this idea off of, but like you should really be congratulating a lot of people who are divorced because obviously things were terrible enough to warrant this drastic action, and they're fucking free now. So especially if there's kids, like for, I'm not going to take this decision lightly. You know what I mean? Uh, My right. kids are little. I think I can tell you objectively that when you told me. I bet I went, oh, more than anything, reflexively, but what, what the first thing I think about is just the upheaval. Oh, sure. Just how difficult it is to uproot everything. Oh my God. That's so, uh, all the routines, all the, the ruts that you've worn into life. Phone plan, utilities, what's in your name, what's in their name. And it must just on and on. Weeks and, on. and weeks of that must happen. Like, oh sh- you know, mm-hmm. six weeks later you're like, oh this yeah. piece of mail or this obligation. You've still got this. stuff over at my no, place. You still got a membership at the fucking Yeah. yeah. So it must just keep on that stuff so intertwined takes a while to to sort out and it's tedious. But you know the impulse is still oftentimes, I think, off target to be like, oh, sorry to hear about your divorce, rather than, hey, good for you for, you know, having the courage to, like, leave something that wasn't working. Mm. And and I'll bet you're, you're either happier now or you're on your way towards something. Uh, and it'd be funny to, you know, the, the reflex when you hear that somebody's got a 25 year 50 year anniversary is oh congratulations that's great Mm -hmm. but if they had a terrible relationship you should just be like sorry dude (laughs) 50 years sorry that's like i told you guys about that woman that one of my patients was her husband was one of my patients and they sat side by side in like matching recliners she was saying he started coming around i swear i told you guys this when she was 13 and that was when he first started coming around. And then he went like off to war or something and then was back when she was older, like 16 or 17. Got ran over by a wagon. It, right. No, that was a different story. And then um, they ended up getting married as soon as she could. When they were like 18. Yeah. And then she said 
he was a good, so they were married like 60 years or something. And she's like, he was a good husband. He didn't beat me. And like, that was her measuring stick of like, he wasn't physically abusive. He was a good husband. And Mm -hmm. I'm like, what are we measuring against here? What's the bar? That's what he has to clear. What kind of conversations were you having with your friends that made you feel like, you know what? My guy. But honestly, 60 years ago, my grandmother, I think, was the same way. It was sort of like you just get married to whoever asks you, kind of. I Mm. mean, probably for that generation. You weren't uh, going online and swiping right or left and through, you know, a catalog. The pool of of applicants. Yeah. yeah. It's kind of like the Everly Yearbook of 85 or 6, Dan. It's, yes, you know, you've got a couple solid choices and then beyond that, it... (laughs) Steep drop. But <laughs> if you survive the bad glasses. <laughs> but yeah, limit yeah, limited pool. Like there's twenty people. Mm. Okay. So go nuts. <laughs> Everybody go. So Chris is preparing to sell a home mm-hmm. right now in what I would call a idyllic almost suburban neighborhood. And uh, outside of, can we say the place? How specific do you want to be here? Uh, yeah, outside Madison. All right, little town outside of Madison. I don't and know who <laughs> would care who we're protecting here. But yeah, just but describe. Obviously, there's. So there's yeah, a- so we're we're putting the house up for sale, and the, we have the date set. When did you buy it? It was about um, about five years ago. I see. And it's in a really nice little woodsy neighborhood. And, and you've watched the steady appreciation of your yep, property Yep, it's been going grow. up really well. And But that's just the housing market in Madison right now. It's just... That's- and this is kind of a unique little house because it's right on the Yahara River. So when you look out the backyard, you can see the Yahara River. You've been there. Hmm. And you've people there. getting stuck in and kayaks kayaks. getting stuck we have a spot where it's shallow so everyone thinks they can get through and then their kayak starts to spin around and they're like i always want to shout out you're gonna have to get out you're not gonna make it (laughs) but anyways so a couple weeks ago as we're getting the house ready justin is doing quite a bit outdoors um, and I'm doing like the call the window washers, call the carpet cleaners, call the like just organizing and setting things up. And so anyways, a lot of work. You guys have all sold a house. You sold yeah. a house? Yep. We sold have. House. Oh, heavens. Yeah. Um, Big yeah. pain in the tuchus. Yes. And then um, we notice that um, down the road, maybe a quarter mile just down on the other side of a pond in a kind of... It's same block technically, but it's like a little different because there's no trees. It's just a little bit different. I never met these people, but there's crime scene tape around their house. And it is discovered that two people are missing and their son is in custody. Oh, man. And um, he's in custody because he lied to the police. How old is he? 20s. The like couple, or something. The, the missing couple are seniors? No. They well, are? maybe 60s. Well, okay, 20. Maybe 50s. 50s I don't know. 60s, I never met them. Okay, but right. yeah, okay. So um, he was then released under like what sounded like a really suspicious, we can't hold him because we don't have evidence to convict him of any crime. So he was released. Then they found evidence that they could actually arrest him and hold him under suspicion of murdering his parents and trying to... um, He basically dismembered his father and tried to bury body parts like in various places around Dane County. Oh... Uh, uh, uh. <laughs> wow when when did this happen when did it i think they get were after not long after she decided to sell her house okay which has got to okay. be great for property value or you worry about it right like you're preparing a house for a showing and oh. there's a bunch of police vehicles and tape and news outlets that are parked there and the dive team that had to 
drain the pond and like go into the pond to look for evidence and maybe we were like are they looking for a body back there because the house backs up to a pond okay a question that you like theirs or just a common pond or something probably it's a common pond 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 it's a pond so a pond pond, yeah well you're trying to get a visual of like, Who knows how many bodies are yeah. there? <laughs> Holy, and that, especially that neighborhood, yeah. So, <laughs> so it's a heinous crime, and the guy had approached one of the places where he ended up burying parts, and like asked the person, and it was like behind someone ha- someone's house that he knew. So he went up to their house and said, "Can I use your pool?" And they said, "Yes." And then they saw him later backing up to like the edge of their property out by the woods and doing something. And then when oh he came back around, he God. wasn't. Oh my God. He wasn't wet. This is TV show stuff. Pool. This is Netflix. Yeah. Uh, Mindhunter. But the fact uh, that when, when an investigation is ongoing or it's happening, like everything that you're telling us, you've had to glean through just neighborhood. There's some grapevine well, some combined news with, coverage. Yeah, but how much can they really say at this point, right? Like they're they're collecting evidence. Somebody's being held. They can say that they they found dismembered parts of this man's body in certain areas X, Y, and Z. Holy Moses! But the nothing on the the wife. The wife is still considered missing. Wow! And this is. All unfolding while she's navigating a divorce and trying to get the house ready for sales. It's well, it ha- and the, well, uh, m- my story is such a small, little, tiny, minuscule thing that's happening in the larger sense of like, mm-hmm. think of the people who live right next door. Just think of the family of the the extended family of the this family, the victims like and, yeah. uncles and aunts, and just. In your, it's it, it's impossible to imagine. Wow. And then, of course, I'm thinking about Mindhunter, and I'm like, what happened to this kid? It's mm. always something. Something happened. Dan, could you give us a little of the, <laughs> what, what's the name of the, the series? Oh, I can't. No, I'm not Because he shot him oh, first. Oh, that six foot nine guy. Yeah. I mean, the story, the current story is shot him at the house. She's making air guns right Ta- now for those taped that up can't the see garage and like opened some vents and stuff, but like covered the windows, did some stuff in there, and then made sure that the neighbors didn't have any security cameras on. Like uh-huh. he went around to all the. Which, when I said Netflix, there is a Netflix show where the neighbor's ring doorbell camera is huge in the mm. solving of it. It also takes place, though, in just a tsunami of text messages, Facebook posts. Mm. Like, it, it's kind of a new generation murder mystery because every second of everybody's day is accounted for. So uh. what happened? Because there's just nonstop. This, the woman that got murdered and the, the girls, Yeah, she was a Facebook maniac. By... All right, so here's a here's a go ahead, sorry. Yeah, eventually, eventually you're left like, yeah, she got murdered and everything, but at some point you're like, did you do anything else besides hold your phone up and broadcast what's going on? <laughs> oh my it was God. just so when somebody like that disappears, what what happened? But anyway, sorry, tangent, tangent. No, that's okay. Neighbors' doorbells though caught vehicles moving and stuff. That, I don't like, know what they captured. The like the police, the unraveling. police are not. <clears throat> Justin is more interested in like going down and seeing what's going on. And mm. he said the sheriff is extremely nice. Like, hey, I'm sorry for the disruption. We don't have any new information for you, but here's what's going on. You know, just like very welcoming, very knows that this is disrupting the whole neighborhood. It's a horrible crime and not he's not like, hey, back away there, <clears throat> buddy. Or, right. So, but wow. I think that... um Originally, the the suspect was the one who reported his parents missing and to the police mm-hmm. and made up some, concocted some story. And then the police uh, just poked all these holes in this story. Wow. And were like, wow. Somehow, it, like I said, it, he must have left quite a trail for them to find. Where you're at mentally when you've killed the parents and then you're. You're in a 
checklist mode of like, how do I go about this now? Covering windows. Well, taking out people's, making sure there's no cameras on right. neighbors' houses, stuff like that. Like, that's what we were thinking. The too. ultimate, like, I can't forget anything here. Like, if you're in the garage and you realize you're trying to cover his tracks, Midwestern oh, parents are dead and you they're too heavy for you to move, then what do you do? It's sort of like that kind of a question. Maybe that was, maybe he's not as psycho as it sounds. Maybe it's a Breaking Bad situation. You have a body. What are you going to do about you it? No, it's hard to believe that he couldn't have pulled a vehicle into the garage and, and just opened up, up yeah a trunk and transported bodies but you I've, would think i've right? never had to transpose and then dispose of maybe he thought it'd be easier to dispose and this is uh, uh we do know. this all the time when we watch movies when we watch netflix shows about murders you go well you wouldn't do that or well obviously you got <laughs> caught because you blank but right. like after you've taken some lives your version of like What's making sense and how you're making decisions has got to be well, and probably before that too. The, the yeah, yeah, yeah. The suggestion is this guy is not I operating don't. on a <laughs> so. You know. I don't know, and it's not it's not wow. like the police are saying X, Y, and Z happened. People like they they are saying they found dismembered body part parts behind this one person's pool in the woods. Check. That's true. That happened. They're saying that they this man got shot first. Check. They're saying that the the guy lied. The son lied. They're saying he checked the security cameras. They're saying they found other parts out by Roxbury, but mm. they're not saying whose parts they are. Interesting. And they say the mom is still missing. Mom is still missing. Mm-hmm. So uh, this has me all just wondering, uh, uh, this guy kind of slip between the cracks somehow you don't just suddenly murder family members are we so like i'm trying to wow sign of the times i'm trying to separate reality and how these things work from when you're watching it in a movie or one of those crime yeah drama shows uh will we eventually find out i guess like if you just keep reading the paper do you eventually find out like here's what he did he snapped and do you have to wait till the trial to find out? He I found no out idea. he wasn't going to inherit anything or something or whatever. He snapped. He killed him. Does that stuff eventually just come Do out? Do you get answers? Like if it doesn't come there. on Netflix? Right. Like, like if it's not OJ and like someone's investigating what really happened, then do we get the true story? I have no idea. Holy Moses. Well... But it's right in your face. This is the weird thing. Normally, it's so easy to compartmentalize stuff like that because it's on TV or it's in some other city or it's somewhere else. This is just down the block. Well, so every time you drive past, the road is closed on that section uh and there's tape across their entire yellow tape across their entire property. And there's like three cop cars and two dive trucks and TV. Yeah. Channel 27 and channel. So it's sort of right in your face. Now, from a from a real estate standpoint, morbid as it is, I don't think it matters a whole lot. <laughs> like it'll it'll blow over. This that, will blow over. That's what the realtor said too. Especially to so a how new, much time does it take? A new buyer, people like like you said though, one houses on each side, one house from that. Like a couple houses though, that is jarring. And you uh. you didn't really know them like. I didn't know them. Did your kids trick or treat down there? No. Okay. Uh, whatever. So just. But you, I was saying you forever. Know where the house is. Halloween forever. That house is going to be. Oh dear. The oh. house where. But when it happens that close, like the, the emotion, the vibe of the neighborhood is like horror happens. Yes. In our absolutely. And every time this happens, every time there's a murder, every time a grisly thing happens, it's horror. Was uh, this is I've never had this yards happen. away. The closest that this has happened is the Brown's chicken murder in Palatine. And I was already in college by then. I'm sorry. That uh, that's only locally famous. So what's the Brown's chicken <laughs> Brown's murder? Chicken She's murder. mentioned the Brown's chicken massacre before. It was. Several yeah, chickens died that night. It <laughs> In Palatine, there was a mass murder at a Brown's chicken and they couldn't find so like a fast food chicken joint? the people. Yeah. Like a KFC or something. Okay. And they couldn't find the people who did it for like. Eight years or something. It was un- just an unsolved, how six or seven people dead. Yikes. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, but that that's as close as I've ever come to something this heinous. Couple things, couple things. When I was about ten, let's say, or so, Sunday morning, getting ready to go to church, got a phone call, and like in my idyllic little community, you know, nothing ever happens. Sure. Except going to church, and coming home from church. Right. And watching wrestling. Uh, word gets out that a skeleton was found or bones oh, were found wow. in a in a ravine on our neighbor's property some of my some of our closest friends back then uh, uh, out i mean consider where i'm from you know out by devil's lake devil's head you know out hunting before church stumbled on some bones called the police and in our little tiny community where nothing ever happens, uh, cops and TV and the newspapers and everything, newspaper, easy, Dan, newspaper, <laughs> show up. Uh, bones are identified as somebody who's been missing for like a decade, a woman. Whoa. Uh, and where she was found, so like out in the Baraboo Bluffs, hmm. uh, windy, steep road with one side that goes just like, one side goes like straight up and uh, the other side goes straight effing down with no guardrail. Yeah. And we used to ride our bikes over there. I can't believe that. But uh, so the thought so was that somebody she was just dumped? Dumped. Because it was from distance. It was from distance away that this person. Yikes. And a perfect place though. Now the morbid part. Like perfect place. The most remote of country roads and yeah. the steepest. The guy or, or woman found the steepest ravine in the most remote place in the most random you know i don't remember where Begs she was a question from. did you have to google have, that but did someone have intimate knowledge of the that area <sighs> right i'm i'm 10 you know so if that happened and by the time you know i'm probably by i'm sure it was a sensation at school for a few days uh but yeah a few days passed and i'm just you know didn't hit you didn't scare shooting you shooting baskets didn't... watching wrestling well it was it was creepy and eerie, uh, but, but I don't know. I was ten, didn't. you know. Like I was worried about like how am I going to get some more bubble yum? Yeah, I'm just wondering about my kids because they see all the commotion, and Play my first and, my first yeah. story was um, they're trying to solve a crime. There's an invest- investigation going on over there. Oh heavens! And they how old are your kids again? 11, 8, and 5. And so I have a 12-year-old. And so I... He would notice, like, cops and stuff, but... They... Well, they notice. It's a big... mm, It's the way that we come home. We go down. We pass the house every time. So... To have to go a different way is like... We just take a different route now. But I kind of asked them. I'm like... There's a crime that happened, and I'm happy to talk to you about it if you like. But honestly, it's not that great. Someone's brain chemistry wasn't working quite right, and mm. I don't, yeah, I don't yes. want to talk to you about this unless you really, really want to know. And, yeah, and it I wasn't, just kind of left it at that. Yeah, it wasn't ten-year-old remains found in a ravine. It was like, you right? It yeah, just happened. <laughs> but my kids are fairly sensitive, and there have been instances. One was recent. Brandon and I got I where some that comes from. Nas- <laughs> who knows? Brandon <laughs> and I got um, National Geographics from the library, some older ones, and one of them was about a woman who um, had a face transplant. Mm. And because a orangutan ripped her face off? No, because he she attempted suicide. And oh, that one. Okay, shot right. Herself. Yep. And her face was destroyed. I think I saw that. And. So the headline seemed really interesting to him, but he opens up the magazine and like looks at the pictures of this woman's face sitting on a platter. Oh dear! In surgery, that's Hannibal Lecter stuff. There. And like, yeah, it's like Frankenstein Ooh, stuff. Dude. Yeah. And his response was like, "I really wish I hadn't looked at that. Now I can't oh. unsee it." You know, so it was kind of that kind of thinking that had me going. You can't unsee some of these things. Mm. You can't unhear. Mm. When you hear these stories, and I'm sure they'll hear at school, people mm. are, kids are going to talk about it, but it's a different thing when you 
hear your parents. It's not just a rumor. Yeah. You know what I mean? This happened. And I don't want to introduce them to that information unless they You wonder little... psychologically what it does to a community, too. Like, my brother lives in Parkland, Florida. And prior to that shooting, it was one of What's the... What's Parkland? School? Yeah, school club? shooting. School shooting. Parkland, okay. Parkland like is, a, is a first, town. It's a, it's a little kind of like upscale Florida gated community mm. kind of place. Uh, and really, you wonder in the aftermath of something like that, if you can ever really go back to the narrative of this isn't the kind of place where something like that can sure. happen or, or happens. This doesn't happen here. Whoa. Well, you know, the odds, the odds of of another murder happening in this sleepy little suburban town of Madison again in the next hundred years or whatever probably yeah decimal you know boy but i would think it would have sort of a the way things like that work on your subconscious you know where you want to feel safe in the place that you live and even if reason tells you like statistically it's improbable that this would have happened at all even less likely that something like this will happen again carry on with your life cut but i i didn't think i could address that but i can okay uh you the idea of a community that says like uh that kind of thing doesn't happen here or whatever right um i would if i well this is going to sound funny if i say if because it happened in deerfield twice since I've lived there. I've lived there 11 years. There have been... And it happened twice within about a, a year, probably a year apart. But first, a couple of few years ago, you'd have to Google it, uh, by the one of the beautiful parks in Deerfield, Community Park, uh, 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 where the baseball fields are, uh, some kids were playing a little bit outside the fringes, and they found a body. What? Yeah. It was like a junkie. Uh, someone who had overdosed. So someone... Maybe. Or, or. But but locals knew him. You know, He was like a local guy, I think. I don't think he was just a stranger who wandered into Deerfield and died. I think he was local. Okay. And Deerfield's not that big a town. Uh, I'm not that involved in the community, though. Uh, so... But I'm, obviously, I heard about it. And, yeah. Uh, it was lurid and morbid and kind of shocking. Um, but that never even crossed my mind. Like that kind of thing doesn't happen here because of the nature of it. I mean, I'm sorry to his family and everything, but like, you know, some kids found a junkie who died in the bushes. Like, so it wasn't a savagely murdered or, you know, some sort of horrifying story. It was just a guy OD'd and died in the woods, but that's more, still more, shocking. I mean, those kids are probably more tragic than frightening though. Probably. Oh yeah. 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 So but still, in a little town like Deerfield, that is a huge deal. Huge. Like, you don't find dead people outside in Deerfield. No. No, no. Fast forward to another, now it's probably a couple, the way time works, it's probably two years ago. feels like it was just, just happened. But uh, a fight breaks out outside a Deerfield bar. Somebody punches somebody. They, f- they hit their head on the curb and they die. Oh my God! They, they hit their. They don't die on the spot. They like die in the hospital. Sure. So it was the old like couple of drunks having it out. It goes too far, and son of a bitch, the guy. You got to be kidding me! He hits his head on the curb and dies, and now someone's, uh, you know, manslaughter. Uh, mm-hmm. whatever that is, whatever it was. That's the kind of news follower I am. Uh, you guys have about two thousand twenty five hundred people. Uh yeah yeah That's I think so. It says we have like ten thousand. Uh very yeah Deerfield very small. Very, yeah. Very small. Uh so, uh it, it's not really a murder though. It's it was a, a circumstance. You know how many bar fights are there in Deerfield a year? Probably one a month. I don't know. You know people get drunk and they do stuff. Uh, but so it, there again though it wasn't this horrifying thing where somebody cut up a body, but still somebody there was a bar fight and somebody died. There was some editorials in the paper about. These bars have got to straighten up their act and this kind of stuff. And uh, But now I guess my reaction 
Now, I don't live next to this horror, mm-hmm. but there's been a couple of pretty weird deaths in my community. And that's, I am just such a, the end of it's individuals. That's not my town. It's not, it has nothing to do with ah. my town. It has nothing to do with like anything except this fucking, these two idiots got in a fight and it went wrong. It's not, there's no culture problem. There's no, <laughs> you know, it's just. Okay. When you talk about what ingredients make a place unlikely for a shocking violence to occur, let's say one of the curious things um, or aspects about what contributes to our perception that this this kind of thing shouldn't happen here is, you know, if I were to describe Chris's neighborhood, it's kind of a upper middle class vibe in that in that neighborhood and the value of the homes reflect that sort of class and um you know in parkland where my brother lives gated upper class sort of everything in its place people living air quotes the good life good lives Mm -hmm. you know so a lot of appearances you know a lot of yeah i suppose so white picket fences and but i mean if you were to i'm not a I don't have the statistics in front of me and probably couldn't interpret them even if it's I probably best that you don't if I had them. But yeah, if you you associate gun violence and violence with impoverished neighborhoods where, mm. you know, people are it's part of or kind of an expression of a a struggle to, you know, control turf and, you know, or whatever. It's not the kind of thing that that ha- that should happen or you th- or you associate with, you know, these quaint places where people are providing for themselves and everybody has what they need. And Do you only look at the instances like that as a problem if it's a pattern, if it happens more than once and it's not random? Uh, would I ascribe it then to like when the would culture you, of the place? When would you say this is a systemic thing? Oh, like... When you read an article that's like uh, 18 people were shot and nine of them fatally in Chicago in like one weekend uh-huh. in certain areas, like, yeah, that's a that's a systemic cultural mm-hmm. area specific thing. Like that's mm-hmm. there is just gunplay like it's just shots are just ringing out everywhere. Hmm. Kid blown out the candles gets hit by a stray bullet. They drive up in somebody's yard and shoot somebody, you know, just like, yeah, that's my instinct is, is two separate things. One is when something like this happens, I feel like something's wrong. How do we fix it? This kid's sick. How do he get sick? Your neighbor. Mm hmm. Okay. Let's not call him my neighbor. The dude. Let's call him the I've gentleman down the road. I have a neighbor just like <laughs> oh you. Oh my God. The, uh, the second thing that, that happens is I immediately feel like the outgroup of this. Like, or I, he's he is in a different group than I am. That's what it feels like. Mm. Not me. Well, that's that's the trick psychologically that I was talking about earlier. How much do you identify with the people you live around? Yeah. And your community and your town. And if you are very proud of your place and you love where you live when shit like that happens how do you compartmentalize how do you push that mm. how do you keep your sense of place you know and and community pride or you know separate from that's why it's it i mean this trickles down i have issues with this with the country I don't want to identify as being an american for lots of different reasons particularly in the eyes of like the rest of the world, we look like total assholes after the last four years. I mean, we just look like the biggest dickheads and they all are very accurate in terms of gun violence and the civil rights issues that we've had in this country and the slavery. And like, it's not just a racial thing, oh boy. but it is sort of Americans have this, we're the greatest country in the world kind of historical attitude that I don't identify with at all. And so 
on that large level, I have problems identifying. Mm. But when it gets trickled down and trickled down and trickled down, I used to have problems with Wisconsin. Like, I'm not a hunter. I'm not a Packers fan. I'm not, I don't identify with the culture here. And then I kind of lived here for a while. And then I started to see the beauty of the things that were here. And so it was like, okay, maybe I can be a Wisconsinite a little bit. But then it trickles down, trickles down, trickles down. And like identifying as living in a suburb of Madison. I never wanted to live in a suburb ever again after I grew up in a suburb. Mm. Hated it. But the people are nice. It's quiet. There's a river in my backyard. There's a river in my backyard. I get to see deer all the time. So it's sort of like, okay, I can identify as being a person that lives in this suburb of Madison. Mm. And then as soon as I start to like identify with that, and then a murder happens, a double murder, then it's like... Okay, mm. some it's sort of like where's the out group and where's the in group? I like I that's I think that's my essentially the question I'm asking. As an outsider to all this, that that's individual. Yeah. There's no cultural thing there. There's no That's a guy that fucking snapped and <laughs> took out mom and dad and maybe we'll find out why. But have you seen any news about this? Do you watch like TV news or very minimal. I just wanted to know what was going on when I didn't when I heard that he was released and was like walking the streets Uh, and was not in custody. I was like, well, that's not good. And so I know the police must have been hustling to try to. You know, this this touches on something that we've spoken about before. This might seem like a little bit of a leap, but bear with me. Mine was a huge leap. I was talking about the country and I was talking about. That was a large leap. I mean, a smaller leap than that. (laughs) I suppose, but that is... That was a big tangent. As parents, uh, you feel feel so responsible for your children, and you grew up with carrying the weight of your parents' reputation and them reminding you that, Mm. hey, you're a reflection of this house. Interesting. Represent our house the right way. I don't, you know don't behave in a way that's going to make me ashamed of, of you and ashamed of myself as a parent kind of thing. And, and we've evolved to a point now where I remember talking to you guys about this at some point, like, yes, you, the buck does stop with you as a parent. You are responsible. But at the same time, at what age or at what point do your children start making choices and behaving in such a way that is really just kind of reflective of them? Mm-hmm. And they are their own people, and and you and you really can't hold yourself accountable for for what they're doing. Similarly, of maybe it might feel obvious, but part of the the sh- the shock that I think is is reverberating through DeForest is like, how did one of us, somebody who lives on my street, mm-hmm. do something like this? Like. Of course, you're not responsible for it, but you feel like it reflects a little bit. I thought we had shared values around here. Mm. What does this say about? Interesting. You know, I think maybe that's my 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 point of because I had that little inkling of like I grew up in a suburb. I don't really want to live in a suburb, but I live in a suburb. I don't know if I ever crossed that line in, into saying these people are just like me. I'm like them and they're like me. Our values are the same. We, we you I, didn't cross I don't that know if I ever threshold? did. No, I don't think I did. So, when something like if I had really identified with the neighborhood, I'm sure there are people in my neighborhood right now that have been there for 50 years and mm-hmm. identify with it and like this is home with a capital H and things like that just sure. don't happen here. I'm lucky enough that I didn't mm. have to deal with grapple with that. Yeah. How could this happen on my block? In because I don't capitalize that M. It's not my block. Yeah. I just happen to live here. You know, we were planning to sell the house. Well, that's and- that's that's been my problem with the suburban experience ever since I was introduced to it after leaving a farm mm-hmm. in a farm community. And it's not that everything about my small farm community. I'm not going to idealize it or romanticize it. But much, 
much, but some. Dan <laughs> grew up. Yeah. Dan grew yeah, up very similar, but, but Dan yes. grew up in a similar kind of place. And what you're saying rings completely true. It's very different. Everyone is very interwoven. Well, right. And deeply. What's interesting to me about you, Dan, though, is woven. that you, you, I'm sure you're a great neighbor to those people that live immediately around you and like, booyah. Well, Are sure. you a good neighbor? Of course he is. You know the guy. Come on. If you be, uh, I'm a before, decent neighbor. I'm a decent neighbor. Before you put a fence up, though, you're like over there saying, hey. Exactly. I got a project, you know, and and if you see somebody who obviously needs help with something, he's extending a hand, whatever. These are these are the kind of, of values that we were brought up with, but I'm speaking in broad strokes here, but like in the suburbs, if someone two houses down from me needed help with something... They can fuck themselves because I don't know who they are. And we've never exchanged a single word. And and the disconnect while being that close is so dissonant to the way we were raised that uh, it seems kind of insane, actually, that, that, you know, there could be that lack of a sense of community mm. with the people that you're you know living your life right next to it so should close be a village. it should be like a little oh tribe oh boy this could go in a lot of directions but yes i, I it should be a what, tribe we were born and, to live in tribes i mean and a big problem that not just me i bet had with covid was the 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 this further severing of like community and connections it turned everyone into a you quarantined in your own bubble and you right i shouldn't have brought that up now because that's its own whole thing but it's Go it's related, it's related. Yeah. the fact that someone don't. two houses away has some misfortune and you're just like pull the shades like that's what quarantine <laughs> that's exactly what i do dan quarantine <laughs> no problem i have lots house. of problems with that that was foisted on us hmm. and along with all the other, you know, all the small businesses that went under and all the, everything that happened, but it also isolated people more and more. We're already so isolated that it, it, uh, it just furthered it down the road. But what's curious, Dan, is that and made it okay. It oh. mandated that you now block everybody else out and you just, you know, well, I don't know least, how like, at least in okay, the case of COVID. That. No, no, that's okay. I, I it's an interesting it's point, but at least in the case of COVID, whether you agreed with it or not, there was a point that this may help us contain or control sure. the spread of this thing that's killing people. Whereas the disconnect of suburban life as it's developed over time in America seems more about my privacy and having my own little kingdom here mm -hmm. is more important than being part of something larger. Mm -hmm. Very true. And and that's, it's nice to have your own place. I'm not going to say it's not. Right. And privacy, and I'm not necessarily ready to jump right into a commune and, you know, <laughs> mm. and, and uh, have to make all of those compromises. But certainly there's got to be, you know, some some sort of middle ground where you're not, you know, just kind of feeling like you're on an island when yeah. you're when you're in these when you're on a lot of suburban streets and were you like did it feel that way in Monona? It seemed like you guys had a good you know I was lucky to have some nice some really nice neighbors on my street yeah but there were still plenty of people all around mm -hmm. a block over that were totally anonymous mm -hmm. and you know the thing that is weird. This is the kind of dissonance that I'm talking about. Like, um, when you pass somebody on the road where I come from, you wave. I love in your that. Car. Always, yeah, you yeah. wave at them. Uh, and you know everybody's vehicle. You and yeah. when you go to the grocery store, the little three aisle grocery store on Main Street, you catch up with the proprietor because you've known her forever. And then every person that you meet in the aisle, you stop and have 
exchange some pleasantries. Dad goes off in a corner and tells me to stay over there so he can tell a dirty joke to this dude or, or hear the latest dirty joke. They laugh. All of this very personal sort of mm-hmm. interaction to go from that model to anonymous parking lot in a large pick and save. You don't know anybody in there. They don't know you. Electronic checkout. Self-checkout. Boo! Even Wearing a mask. Boo. Yeah, but... And, and um, yeah, it's that balance between, all right, I'm, I'm grateful on some level that I'm able to, you know, go to this supermarket and have my pick of all of these wonderful products and, and uh, you know, but it's so impersonal. Mm-hmm. Where does, that's and, an interesting story that you're telling because it makes me wonder, so we're social people. And if you're not getting it from your community, really, mm-hmm. where do you get it from? Does it put more pressure on the family? Is that why so many divorces are happening and stuff? Because all of your social energy is contained within your house because you're less connected to your community? I mean, obviously, I it's not I'm... like one causes the other. But I mean, just in general terms. Well, I think, uh, what do I know about maintaining healthy relationships to you know i'm not an expert on it but i do think like you could you could certainly uh that's a lot of pressure uh, if if for instance i didn't have time with the guys and i couldn't say to my partner once in a while like hey i love hanging out with you but i'm gonna watch the playoffs with my buddy dan tonight and you know <laughs> and we're gonna complain about women at halftime privately when no one's listening and have that outlet you know after we praise them after after lots of praise Keeping, glowing yeah just glowing praise. glowing praise <laughs> but yeah yes. that balance you mm-hmm. know of you, you pick up your friendships wherever you can versus like again this is a bit of a stretch because not everyone loved each other and there's plenty of pettiness mm. and things that happened behind neighborhood in the farm town in the small town certainly certainly Mm -hmm. humans were humans but but at least (laughs) for what it's worth like in in a public context people made nice and pretended that they were all friendly at least and and there was an effort made Mm. everywhere to be like hey i see you over there how you doing and uh did you feel like you had to pretend more well, than was comfortable. Uh, is that why you sometimes. left? Is that why you left, though? I mean, small and towns gonna... have a great benefit to them, but also, can you really be yourself? Oh, my. If you can't be yourself, then that's a different kind of confinement. Right. Okay. Being trapped in what other people expect you to be. Like most episodes of Solving Everything <laughs> on the Podjectivity <laughs> Network. <laughs> Uh, this, who knows how this is going to actually sound when it comes out, but we were talking about marriage before Mm. you were talking about, uh, it was all I could do to stay in my chair when you said you don't want to identify as an American and so on for so many reasons. Yeah. Uh, you mentioned your vows didn't have things like obey and God and stuff like that. No. Okay. That's why it didn't work. And we (laughs) kaboom. (laughs) They spot me while I play as a fly enthusiasm aimed at your indifference. Scan the floor for one tap into a bobbin head. Better signal coming back on the same map for Rick How's reception connection? Don't flip the dial. This your performance is commercial free. Is commercial free. Only thing for sale up here is me and my CD. You're free to catch up on all times at the top of your lungs. Got a mic and I can turn it up, but I can't turn you down. Got a mic, what I need's a new remote. I point and click, point and click, flip around for a little more appreciation from the crowd participation. Would it be too much entirely to expect a little respect? Would it be too much entirely? What if what the say is true? Less is more. More is what I'm telling you.